This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The food industry is ripe with problems these days. You like that little joke? It's, it's ripe with problems these days. I guess that wasn't a good joke. Nobody's laughing in the other studio. Uh, the issues with Chipotle, just the cherry on the top of an ugly Sunday right now. Oh, you got that one. Okay, good. One of the amazing stories came a few months back when it was discovered that much of the Parmesan cheese sold here in the United States had some level of wood pulp in it. So how can you get a better handle on what you eat and where it actually came from? USA Today columnist Larry Olmsted takes an in-depth look at many of the problems out there right now in his new book, Real Food, Fake Food, Why You Don't Know What You're Eating and What You Can Do About It. Larry joins us on the phone right now. Welcome, Larry. Great to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And just for the record, I thought your rape comment was pretty funny. Thank you. I mean, see, my producer and the board, they were they were doing other things behind the, the glass there. So they weren't really focused in on my humor at this point. Uh, and I got to be honest, as I was you know, doing the prep to talk to you yesterday, I didn't know if by the end of this interview if I was going to be scared to eat or not. Uh, because seemingly, I mean, we hear it in the news all the time right now, uh, Chipotle being one of the latest ones, but there's, there are problems with various food companies, various food elements now, almost monthly at this point. Yeah, well, it's, it's really two different issues. I mean, I ate at Chipotle about a week ago. I've got, you know, uh, no problem with that. Sure. You know, um, you know, given the scope of food sold in this country, you know, there are going to be um, cases of E. coli and things like that. That's, that's sort of a, a different issue, and, and my book is not about fast food. Uh, yep. my, my book is about, you know, the, the foods we eat uh, every day at the, by at the supermarket as well as at, you know, more upscale restaurants. But, um, you know, I have gotten that reaction from people, oh, you scared me from eating, or I can't eat sushi anymore. And sushi is yeah. probably the truest, but that—that's not the point. The point is to, um, you know, explain why the, these real foods are so good and good for you and delicious and worth seeking out to avoid the fakes, rather than sort of the other way around. It's a glass half empty, half full kind of thing. So the the best foods out there in your mind right now for us uh, that that give us the best nutrition and and have some taste to it as well are probably what. Well, you mentioned the the Parmesan cheese, the wood pulp thing. So I'll just start there as an example. Uh, You know, I've been to Parma in Italy where the original, the real thing is made. That's why it's called Parmesan cheese. Um, You know, and and the... uh, the, cow, the milk that they make it from, these cows, they're, they're, it's regulated where they graze. They're not allowed to eat from any fields that have had pesticides or fertilizers used. Uh, the cows themselves can't have steroids or antibiotics or hormones. So you're getting ultra-pure milk, and then uh, the cheese-making process by law has to start within two hours of milking. So you're getting hmm. ultra-fresh I mean, ultra-pure milk, that's also really fresh. And the only other ingredients allowed in uh, Parmesan cheese are salt and rennet, which is what, you know, the natural digestive enzyme that makes cheese form curds in all cheese. So you couldn't really have less or better ingredients than you do. And for that reason, um, during... Uh, the space program, you know, NASA, after much testing, chose this cheese as the cheese to send into space with the astronauts. It's nutrient-dense. It's very pure. The problem is... And it's not just Parmesan cheese, it's champagne and Kobe beef and a whole lot of other products. The United States has long refused to honor uh, geographically based trademarks for food. 
So uh, in this country, you can make anything from any kind of milk with any kind of additives, uh, any kind of cheese, really, and call it Parmesan. So um, while that wood pulp scandal, which was really about grated cheese, yep. got a lot of media attention, to me that's not the big problem because people who care about food and cooking aren't buying tubes of grated cheese anyway. It's when you buy a wedge uh, that's $18 a pound wrapped up that looks like the Italian thing in the nice cheese case, and it's not. And suddenly you're not getting all that promise of wholesomeness. The good news is it's easy to buy the real thing once you know. Sure, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why we've seen the the growth of, of, of the smaller market store in a lot of towns across the U.S. and, and obviously some of the other uh, the other types of stores that are, that have really you know jumped up. I mean, and and we should say that people. It does seem like if if you're rating people's concern of what they're eating and and the things that they are buying now compared to maybe 15 or 20 years ago, it's probably night and day how much better it is now. But there's still a ways to go. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, well, we went through kind of you know three phases in this country. First, um, you know, we were on the European model where we ate. Uh, more fresh food and stuff that was, you know, basically unprocessed. And that was most of this country's history. It's, it's funny, like with cattle farming, um, what they call conventional um, farming, which is that uh, industrial feedlot model, is really very new. I mean, cattle have been farmed for thousands of years. Sure. What we call conventional farming is only like a century old. So to me, it's very unconventional. And now we're returning. And then we had that whole Wonder Bread era of, you know, what the wonders of science can do to your food. Sure. Uh, and now it's sort of coming back because we realize that that science isn't always so wonderful. We're talking with Larry Olmstead, uh, columnist for USA Today, also the author of the book Real Food, Fake Food, Why You Don't Know What You're Eating and What You Can Do About It. Uh, the seafood issue uh, here in the United States, uh, we, we talked a while back on the show. Uh, there was uh, stories uh, about the problems uh, of uh, of farming seafood over in Asia. But the problems with seafood here are in and around the United States uh, really culminate in, in what areas? Well, a lot of it does have to do with the imports. And you mentioned Asia. Um, you know, with, with our other animal proteins, uh, beef, pork, chicken, turkey, we are easily able to provide um, domestic supply. It might not right. be the best, but, you know, we know where it comes from and how it's made for the most part. But over 90 percent, um, I, I say 91 percent in the book, that was the best number when I wrote it. New York Magazine two weeks ago said it's up to 95 percent <laughs> of all the seafood we eat in this country is imported. Yeah. And the supply chain is very opaque. Um, a lot of it, the country of origin is obfuscated. And uh, a lot of the farmed fish, which is about 40 percent of what we eat now comes from aquaculture, comes from um, Southeast Asia, from countries that have really shoddy and shady track records, have repeatedly been found using banned or unapproved antibiotics, uh, in addition to environmentally destructive practices, even slave labor. So that's a big problem, and um, there's a lot of mislabeling. Uh, studies have shown that about a third of the seafood sold in this country at retail and um, in restaurants is mislabeled in terms of species. Right. And you, you're always getting something cheaper. It's, it's not an accident. You know, It's not like you go and buy cheap farm catfish and suddenly they give you wild-caught salmon. It's always the other way around. And, and sushi is apparently one of the bigger problems right now, correct? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's just... Um, notorious for, for this substitution for lower quality fish being used. And also, it the more visibly hidden food is, you know, the more chopped up, more processed, more filleted, the harder it is for you to tell. And when you get like a spicy tuna roll that's chopped meat and like mayonnaise wrapped in rice, you don't really see it the way you see a whole fish.
That's amazing. I, 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 it makes you it, it makes you wonder. I, I mean, I, I know people that are sushi lovers. Uh, it it has to make you wonder uh, if you have to change your your habits in terms of, of what you're eating right now. I mean, I think you do, and I love sushi, you know, and I've, um, I'm, I'm a very early adopter. My father uh, worked in Japan back in the 40s, so right. when I was growing up in New York City, you know, I, I ate sushi when it wasn't popular, sure. and I've been to Japan, but I've had to mostly, you know, give it up. I'll eat it still at uh, high-end restaurants where I know they fly the fish in. Sure. But it's, you know, it's, it's really become like fast food. You know, it, yeah. there was never a notion you'd pick your sushi up at the convenience store. I, I was going to ask you if, if you had a place that, that you knew that the, that the sushi where the fish would be fresh and, and, and you wouldn't have that concern. So obviously the high-end restaurants are, are really one of the few options in the U.S. right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's there's some mom and pop ones that do a great job, but right. you know, I know how Nobu, you know, for example, the brand, you know, that's sort of a chain of high-end restaurants sources their food, or a place like Masa or Suzy Sushi Nakazawa in New York. But you know, these are sort of special occasion restaurants for most of us. You also mentioned about about lobster uh, and spending a lot of time up in New England, as I've done over the years. Uh, there are obviously uh, you can get. The, the best lobster pulled right out of the water like an hour in advance or an hour before, I should say. Uh, but the the fact that there are places that sell lobster roll or, or you know, lobster, probably mac and cheese, which is a, a big favorite these days, uh, that may not be lobster at all, correct? Absolutely, and this is this is one of the more shocking problems, but it's also a good example. So like you said, you go to Maine or Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, you know, and pull, they pull a lobster out of the water. This North, North Atlantic lobster, yep. instantly recognizable. There's nothing else that looks like it. You really can't be fooled. Uh, it's also a wild-caught thing. It's not farm-raised. You know there's no drugs. It's just a lobster. It's yep. real food. Um, but then you take it out of the shell and start chopping it up. You don't know so much. Um, and uh, Inside Edition did a, a expose earlier this year, just a few months ago, where they went to restaurants around the country and bought lobster bisque, lobster stew, um, lobster ravioli, you know, lobster salad, and then DNA tested it. And about a third of the dishes had no lobster at all. So oh, you God. go from this, you know, whole main lobster, very real, to lobster ravioli with no lobster in it, which is very fake. And then in the middle, there's sort of this gray area where the FDA, for uh, reasons that sort of defy rational uh, understanding, shows they, they have this commercial seafood list, which basically says what you can call different kinds of fish legally. Right. And they chose to put langostino, which is a kind of crab. It's most closely related to hermit crabs. Um, on, on the list as acceptable for lobster. So in these fast food, like a lobster quesadilla or taco, you're allowed to use langostino and legally call it lobster. So you can have lobster, you can have sort of fake legal lobster, or you can have no lobster at all, and, and they're all out there. Hermit crab quesadilla. It doesn't sound as sexy, does it? No, it, re it really doesn't. Uh, I was going to make the joke about, you know, and, and as I said, going up to Maine, I've, I've been up to Maine m many times where you're literally, you're eating lobster that, that you know was pulled out of the water, you know, an hour or two hours prior to that. Uh, but then there's the whole, you know, McDonald's with lobster roll. And obviously, if you go to McDonald's to get a lobster roll, you're, 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 you're on your own on, the, on that case. Well, interestingly, I've noticed just since my book came out, just in the last few weeks as I travel around, 
some places are getting a little more precise in their language. So okay. I saw a billboard yesterday for McDonald's, and it said, our lobster rolls use 100% North Atlantic lobster, which is much wow. more specific than just saying lobster roll. And I saw also uh, at Quiznos had a, I think it was Quiznos, one of the, the sandwich shops had a sign up that said, it's back our seasonal lobster and seafood salad. And that immediately says to me, you know, lobster and seafood means, you know, it could be 1% lobster. Right, exactly. Uh, Larry Olmstead joins us. The book is Real Food, Fake Food. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866. We're talking about the problems of, of the food industry here in the U.S. and what you eat may not be what you're expecting to eat. Uh, you also go into uh, the issues with Kobe beef, uh, which if for anybody that has been overseas to Asia, uh, they know how good it is. But the term Kobe beef, I guess, is is really used uh, liberally here in the United States at times. Uh, that's uh, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like like I mentioned with Parmesan cheese and champagne, a lot of these geographically based foods can't get trademark protection here. So it's legal to call whatever you want Kobe beef in the U.S., but it's still misleading if you are trying to uh, dupe the consumer into thinking that it's this Japanese beef, which obviously people are going to think of when you say Kobe beef. And a couple of um, uh, fast food, or not fast food, higher end chains have actually been sort of successfully class action suited over this issue. But suffice to say that there is almost no for year, for most of the 21st century there was no kobe beef in this country at all it was illegal right. to import now you can but there's so little there's less than 10 restaurants in the united states that serve real kobe beef and hundreds that lie about it you also mentioned the fact that that part of the problem with kobe beef uh are the chefs themselves uh that that, that they are perpetuating this this uh this lie basically on on a lot of the public they are. A lot of them, now, now that there's other Japanese Wagyu more widely available, which is a basically of equivalent quality, some of them are taking the tack that, well, you know, it, it's like the real thing, but people don't understand it, so we use it to simplify, which is a little bit bogus. Others, oh, another problem is that one of the larger domestic purveyors of uh, Wagyu-influenced beef, as they call it, uses the term American Kobe when it sells, so a lot of restaurants just put that on the menu. Right. Um, you know, it's really confusing. I, I view it as, as a red flag, but, you know, it, it's not even, you know, you mentioned it tastes really good, and I think it does. Not yeah. everyone likes this kind of beef, but more importantly, it's very recognizable. I can look at the Japanese breed beef and tell even, you know, or even before I bite into it that it is or it isn't. It, it's it's just such a different product. But it's, it, it's it, what makes it so different is the fact that it's so lean, correct? Well, no, actually, it's very fatty. Oh, fatty, I'm but, sorry. Um the fat is distributed in a much different way. Okay. So when you look at like right. our steak, it has these streaks and bands. There, it looks like I say it looks like it was hit with a shotgun of fat. It's like little tiny dots okay. all, all right. throughout. All right, uh, we're joined by Larry Olmstead, who is the author of the book Real Food, Fake Food. Uh, he's also a columnist for USA Today. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I wanted to get into the, the the regulatory end of this because you mentioned the FDA a little while ago, uh, and, and seemingly. The FDA, like a lot of government organizations, is probably well underfunded, not able to do the work that they probably should be uh, because of not only the funding, but the numbers of people that they would have to be able to police a lot of these issues. And it sounds like a, a lot of these companies understand that and are able to get away with a lot more because of this problem. Um, absolutely. And, you know, it's a sticky issue because, no, you know, most people 
aren't exactly excited about, you know, cries for more government regulation or for paying more in taxes. <laughs> so, you know, it is tough. Um, you know, it is going to take some manpower and some money to solve. But the, the, the FDA has several different problems from my perspective. You know, one is, um, you know, lack of, of both willingness and capacity to do inspections and stay on top of it. But a bigger issue, which, which is not really tied to their budget, is, is their position on labeling. And, you know, for many years in this country, there was no standard for organic, and that was a big problem. People could use it. It was confusing. Nobody knew what it meant. Sometimes it meant nothing. In 2002, we created a pretty detailed standards for organic, and that problem sort of went away. But we still have the same thing with a lot of other words, and the big one now is natural. The FDA has right. chosen intentionally. It's not like an oversight. They had meetings, and they decided not to define natural. And so it slapped on one one of four new food products being introduced in this country, but it's utterly meaningless. And there's a lot of terms like that. You also talk about olive oil being a, a, an area where there is there there is a lot of liberal language being used in terms of the quality of of, of what the uh, the olive oil is here in the United States. Yeah, and this one really bothers me because I love olive oil. Um, it's really a wonder food when it's good. It, it's one of the healthiest things. Every time they do a study, it seems they find something, you know, another way it's good for you. Um, and it tastes delicious. The problem is extra virgin olive oil is supposed to represent the best grade. Like when you go up to the gas pump and there's regular premium and super premium. So extra virgin is supposed to be like the A+. Plus of olive oil. Um, and I've had different uh, people I've talked to in the industry estimate, you know, eight to 10% of what's produced in Europe, for example, would qualify as extra virgin. But in this right. country, it's virtually impossible to buy a bottle that's not extra virgin. Right. Uh, um, so, um, and I talked to uh, actually um, the FDA about this, and they said, well, we don't have a standard of identity for olive oil, which means a definition. So we can't enforce anything because we can't hold them to uh, any definition. Why don't you have a standard definition? Because we haven't created one. So it's a circular argument that's kind of nonsensical. What needs to be done, though? I mean, what can be done from a regulatory perspective to try and, and get a little bit of change started in this process? Or, uh, you know, are we kind of stuck in a rut where it almost feels like we're too far down the road to make significant change? You know, it does feel like that, but I don't think that's true. I okay. think, you know, starting by having some sensible label definitions, you know, like when they wanted to define natural, it's a big issue. Uh, big uh, food weighs in, um, lobbyists weigh in, consumers weigh in, but ultimately you just have to create a, some sort of a definition. It's better than having none and it being the Wild West. On the seafood front, um, you know, President Obama announced a, a presidential task force to fight seafood fraud in 2014, which shows how big a problem that is. But they're actually, you know, fairly quickly making inroads. The FDA built a new DNA testing lab. They're introducing all this new protocol. So I, I see that there, in a case where it got a lot of publicity, and then the president intervened, the FDA is actually taking meaningful action. So there's no reason why they couldn't do that in other areas. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's something that it's so far down the political chain in terms of things that that need to be addressed. Uh, it, it would be it, it would be valuable if it actually was. But it's probably not going to be because it's it's not considered to be a major concern, even though there are this is what probably a, a billion dollar multi billion dollar problem at this point. Uh, the Michigan State University Food Fraud Institute, which is sort of our leading research uh, facility in this country for this topic, says fifty billion dollars a year food fraud. 
Yeah. Uh, and their counterparts in the UK came up with 49 billion. So that's a pretty precise number. Larry Olmstead joins us. He is the author of the book Real Food, Fake Food. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, we talked about the seafood. We talked about the various uh, other foods out there. Are there ones that we hadn't touched on that are that are a concern of you as well? I mean, there's a, a lot of adulteration of staples. So this sort of happens at two levels. You've got your high-value foods, which, you know, your Kobe beef, your fancy olive oil, your premium fish like red snapper grouper, uh, lobster that are very tempting um, for counterfeiters because they're expensive. But then there's your staples that are tempting because they're in large volume. So like when Michigan State Food Fraud Institute puts out their list of the top 10 most adulterated items, it always includes coffee, juice, you know, pretty basic things. Um, you know, and one of the there's no overriding tip I can give that covers all foods. And at the end of each chapter, you know, seafood, cheese, I give specific advice for buying, labeling, things yeah. to look for. But one is is to to try to buy things in their whole or form. So right. coffee is a great example. You buy coffee beans, you really can't get anything else. It's like the lobster. You know what coffee beans look like, smell like, feel like. You buy ground coffee, you're buying into a food stuff that has a centuries-old addition of, of really horrible adulteration. So, you know, you gotta, you got to think along those lines. Um, you know, you buy, buy uh, oregano or basil leaves, you're fine. You buy dried stuff, well, you yeah. know, third, good chance maybe it's got lawn clippings in it. Part of that is obviously, as you kind of alluded to, it's, it's the people themselves taking the time to, you know, do the research, look for these foods, and, and really invest the time in it. Absolutely. And, you know, it, there is unfortunately a, a, a pretty high onus on the American consumer. I mean, you just go back to the la even the labeling that we have. You know, some foods are regulated by the USDA, some by the FDA. Some, yeah. they, they have different definitions for the same words. So suddenly the consumer not only has to remember a list of what words mean something and what don't mean something, but what they, who they mean it to and what foods those apply to, and it becomes too complicated to go shopping. It's funny, uh, at, at the end of the book, for uh, people that are going to pick this book up, the last line in, in the book is, to all of you I offer a toast of cheers and raise a glass of champagne, the one from France. Uh, so well done. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Larry. Greatly appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.